I almost always let men pay for the first date. As you should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though I would say I out-earn most men at this point, uh, I think it's just acknowledging the gender wage gap. <laughs> My name's Alyssa. And my name is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels, the podcast where we take a really uncomfortable conversation and turn it into something fun so you can actually be satisfied in your relationship. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. That was <laughs> Again, with the big promises right, <laughs> right at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's a new theme for 2023. We are solving all of the world's problems in one, in an hour or less. No wonder our podcast is getting so popular. <laughs> um, so how does your money feel today? Um, it feels like, okay, I'm a little bit stressed because I, I just booked the appointment to take my car in next week for its like annual servicing appointment. Mm. And I don't know how much it's going to cost because uh, now my car is, I think, eight years old. So it's kind of hitting that point where repairs and replacement of things are getting expensive and then the car is not worth as much. And so I'm kind of teetering on the edge of, is it time to get a new car or not? Oh, no. Yeah. Like, I kind of want one. Like, I really like cars. You've wanted one for a while now. Yeah. But my, my dream was to have keep this one and have two cars. So. Oh. Yeah, because I really, I really like cars, but um, Rob told me I can't buy one <laughs> until my TFSA is replenished. I mean, it's good advice. Your, your car still runs; it's still pretty. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what the mechanic says next week about how much it costs. But I'm I'm expecting that there's going to be some things because, and I think I shared on my Instagram. It said like auxiliary battery needs replacement, and I'm oh, like, no. oh no. Yeah. So I mean, it's if not it's just a cheap. battery, that, that's not too expensive. I mean, that's the only thing that the light is showing on for. We don't know what else could be wrong. You're I'm, right. I'm just saying, with cars, it's always expensive, right? Yeah. And we're not mechanics, so they like to take <laughs> advantage of us for that. Yeah. <laughs> How does your money feel? I think I feel good. I, I've actually spent a lot of money recently. I thought I would spend no money in January, and I just keep buying things. I'm quite shocked to hear those words that I feel good. I've spent a lot of money coming like side by side. Oh my God, you're right. I don't know (laughs) if I've ever used those two sentences together. Yeah. So tell me what you're spending your money on. Well, I booked a flight for me and my daughter to go to Phoenix together. Mm -hmm. So that was just spur of the moment, which is unlike me, but I'm super excited And I also saw that there was a sale on Nespresso coffee machines. And normally I would sit and like think about that decision for weeks, months, the sale would be gone and I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And this time I was just like, I'm going to do it. And I, and I just hit checkout and it's on its way. I'm so proud of you. I think that's a really good purchase for you because of how much you love coffee. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I've done a really good job of not going to the coffee shops as much as I usually do. And this is going to help with that. I hope it's pretty good. I I do. I don't own a Nespresso machine, but it is good coffee. I mean, I have the old version and this one just has more variety in the capsules you can buy. So I, I sourced my Instagram followers and they were all about the new one. So I was oh. like, well, I'm sold. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, speaking of coffee and maybe your relationship making you extremely drained and exhausted because talking about money is so hard. <laughs> it's time to discuss mixing love and money. Our Valentine's Day, our Valentine's Week episode, I guess. Yes, that's right. It's We're a little bit, we're going to keep it positive because it is Valentine's, right? What does that, of course it's going to be positive. <laughs> is, what, what does that mean? Is Valentine's Day not a positive holiday for you? Or maybe it's just me. I don't love Valentine's Day. <gasps> Why? I don't know. I just, I've never really, we just started celebrating the past two years, but prior to that, I just never celebrated. So maybe that's it. I love Valentine's Day. I am the single person that loves Valentine's Day more than people in couples. I go all out. Like my daughter and I bake heart-shaped cookies. I get her a present. I buy myself a present. I watch like some rom-coms on TV. I love Valentine's Day. That's cute. I do actually buy my kids Valentine's book every year. Aw. So I, I love it in that sense. I just don't love the like go out for dinner when it's really busy and the chaos of Valentine's. <laughs> Fair. Because I'm like, it's a made up holiday. <laughs> but I like your version. Yeah, I just I just like to celebrate things. And I'm excited to talk about this topic, mixing love and money. And I was just laughing before Alyssa hit record that I sat down and I read her outline for what we're going to discuss today. And I realized she had only put things about money and relationships and she left out dating and money. (laughs) And I had to remind you that I haven't dated for 15 years. Which is so funny. Whereas dating is all I do. And that's my only... (laughs) context with money. And I haven't been in a relationship for years and years and years now. And I don't even, I never think about money past the dating stage because it just hasn't come up in like half a decade. But we decided that's a good thing because we have a mix of both short and long-term relationships and what you could or should do to navigate those weird conversations about money, right? And it is still a weird conversation. Do you think? It is. I think for a lot of people, no matter how new the relationship is, it can be extremely uncomfortable or just intimidating. Yeah, I definitely think it's intimidating. It's a little bit weird with dating and money. I had actually, I don't know what I'm going to do with these screenshots, but I saved them from dating app because I found so many of men's profiles in their directly in their profile or in their first few messages to me, one of the things they first said, this is before we've even gone on a date, is they've said outright, I make good money. And like five of them said it. So I was just collecting all these screenshots. What? Yeah. And I I didn't know I was going to like put it on an Instagram story and be like, are you guys noticing this trend or what is it? But men are just straight up, like it's either directly in their bio or they'll disclose it in conversation. Because one of the questions I always like to ask, because I'm really passionate about my work is I often ask people like, do you like your work? And like nine times out of 10, the response from a man is like, yeah, I do. And I also make really good money. And they just say that right off the top. Do you think, do you have anything in your profile that alludes to you working in money? Is that why they're quick to to share that information with you? I don't think so. I'm pretty vague. I think like on my Bumble profile, it has one part where it's like, what's your superpower? And mine says 
making financial products easy to understand. So, but I don't know why that would inspire someone to tell me that they make good money. As soon as someone hears you talk about money, though, they're like, finally, I can brag. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wonder if it's like that masculinity thing of wanting to be seen as a provider and a desirable partner that they just say it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I I mean, I think it's fine. I'm just like, okay, cool. I just thought it was funny that they're so blatant about it. Like they just say it. Yeah, that is strange. Yeah. But I do think for men, maybe that is one of the things that makes them attractive to date. So maybe it makes sense to put that on a dating app. I also see like a bajillion men put homeowner in their bio, Uh which which for me is usually a red flag because- (laughs) If you bought a home by yourself, I'm like, oh, you never did a rent versus buy calculation. So I don't know if we're going to be aligned on our financial (laughs) values. I love how seriously you take dating profiles. Like they're like, oh, this is a nice, nice to know piece of information about my life. And you're like analyzing the (laughs) shit out of it. Okay, but in my defense, I have a really good filter. And this this is kind of an aside of the money conversation. But I have a really good experience on dating apps. Like I find it really easy to find good men. I usually go on good dates. I enjoy myself. Uh, sometimes like we'll have an awkward conversation or it, they're just I just don't really like them. Like there's not a chemistry, but I've never... I haven't come back and said, wow, I had a horrible date. In- yeah, you're not finding catfish. No, I I have a really positive experience using dating apps. And I think people are really surprised to hear that. But I think it's also because I am so deliberate filtering people out right from the beginning for like the smallest infraction, like putting homeowner in their bio. But I also think it's because you don't, you're not actively searching for the one. I think a lot of people have a hard time distinguishing like who they should date because they're so worried that they won't find someone to date. So they're willing to put themselves out there for maybe someone who isn't a good fit. That's a really good point because my intention with most dating is I'd like to meet someone cool and have a good coffee date or a good dinner together. And when you're like, is this a good person to spend an hour with? It makes it a little bit easier because the stakes aren't as high. That's such a good like question. Yeah. Do I want to spend an hour with this person? Because that's that's the first step. <laughs> that is the first step. And what you should then think, like the first date is really just to see if, do I want to see this person a second time? And that's it's true. It. Like, I think, I do think it's high stakes when people are going in and they're like, I'm trying to find the love of my life. I'm trying to find my husband. Because I think it just skews your vision <laughs> as opposed to feeling like, I would like to get to know someone for an hour and that's it. Yeah, I like that. Well, so if people are sharing that they make good money with you right away, do you think that that is something you should talk about early on when you're dating someone? Do you feel like it is negative because it could affect power dynamics? Do you think it's good because you can speak more openly about money? What are your thoughts on that? I I have many thoughts on this. <laughs> Actually, I I don't think there's anything wrong with disclosing it. I actually find it really entertaining when men say that because the first question I want to ask, but I never do ask because money is still taboo is I just want to be like, oh, how much do you make? Yeah. What is good money? That's my question. I'm like, what do you consider good money? Because it could be like $80,000 a year. Maybe it's $300,000 a year. I have no idea what 
they think is good money, but I've, I've never actually asked them outright what. Please start. (laughs) I'm I'm still trying to go on these dates, Alyssa. I don't want men to filter (laughs) me out. Right. Uh, So I think that that's, uh, really good, but I think there's still a lot of gender dynamics at play because I don't disclose uh, my income, and I would say I'm even like quite cagey about my finances in general in the first few dates until it gets to a point where it's kind of impossible to hide. Right, because there's no point in disclosing that, or do you think it impacts? how they view you on dates. Now that you ask that I'm I do think it really impacts how they view people on dates because I do think there's still this weird dynamic between men and women even though we know a lot of women are the breadwinner in relationships now but I think men do want to be seen as the higher earner and the provider. And I think this is especially true if they're the kind of person that says, I make good money in the first Very like true. five seconds that you talk to them. That um, just knowing what my income is, I think like it's it's generally higher than what these men are probably earning. And I feel like it could be a blow to their ego. So I, I don't share it because I do think it's a power dynamic thing. Well, yeah, I think there's so many assumptions surrounding even just the term breadwinner or the concept. Mm -hmm. It's like you're automatically in control of the financial decisions for your household. Yes. Or your only job in the relationship is to provide financially. And it's almost always assumed that the male is the breadwinner in a heterosis relationship. A hundred percent. And I'm realizing now, since you asked me that question, like how early it really shows up in in dates, like the fact that they're disclosing that they make a good income before you even meet. And then I think that dynamic carries over to the date. And it's like, who pays for the first date, which is a question I get all the time. I almost always let men pay for the first date. As you Uh, should. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I would say I out earn most men at this point, uh, I think it's it's just acknowledging the gender wage gap. Yeah. I think men should do it out of politeness. Just like, I know that my gender tends to make more than women. So I'm going to pick up the tab. As dates go on, then I usually either split it 50-50 and occasionally I'll pick up the whole bill. Especially if I'm dating someone that as the relationship progresses, I learn that they make significantly less than me. Then I'll really start to pick up the tab. I would say even most of the time. I think that's really fair. What else are you supposed to do? I don't know. There is still, and I've seen quite a few TikToks about this of women who want men to pay for everything. We hear this a lot on Ramit's podcast, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. You've heard how many couples he interviews and the woman will sometimes be earning multiples more than the man. And she's like, he has to pay for every date that we go to at the restaurant, which is just crazy. And I think like if you can afford it, either split the bills or pick up the tab if you're the higher earner. And a good perspective I've heard on this is from one of my favorite, favorite, favorite dating coaches ever is Matthew Hussey. And he has, Mm -hmm. I think his podcast is called the Love Life Podcast. And he talks about how picking up the tab sometimes or going half seas, even like, even if you do want to be taken care of or provided for, it just shows that you're like a team player in the relationship. You're like, I'm, 
coming into this, I'm willing to pull some of my own weight and I want to take care of you. I want to treat you sometimes as well. But there's also men that won't let you do that, which is really funny too. No, I have a lot of women reach out and they're like, I'm the higher earner in the relationship. How can I gently offer to contribute more to the household bills? I know. (laughs) Because their partner feels such a big shame around letting someone, letting a female who earns more than them support them. It's such uncomfortable gender dynamics, and I don't know how well we're doing at changing them because it seems to be coming more of an issue rather than less. Like, it takes a really secure feminist man to be like, my wife is the primary earner and she's footing most of the bills. Exactly. And like, to achieve financial equity in any relationship, you have to work together to share the... It's a burden. Like, choosing what you spend... What's an even split? And how can you still pay for your lifestyle 50-50 without one person sacrificing more of their income? Yeah. And I think that is a concern sometimes because another thing that comes up a lot when people are dating, I haven't gone on enough dates with one person recently for this to come up, but I know it exists theoretically is like disclosing the amount of debt that you have yes, because that becomes like a burden that a partner might have to take on. So sometimes if you have substantial student loan or credit card debt or other debt of any kind, there's this anxiety that your partner, no matter how much they like you and want to be with you, they see that as a financial tab they have to pick up and it kind of scares them off. What would you do in that situation if you went on a date and someone did come forward and disclose a massive amount of debt, like if it was a student loan or even just a mortgage? I think like mortgages don't bother me, as you know from earlier (laughs) podcast. I'd still be like, why did you buy a house for yourself and not (laughs) why didn't you do a rent versus buy calculation? But uh, that aside, for if they have significant debt, uh, student loans, car loans, or other forms of debt, I really just want to know how did you accrue this debt and when was it accrued? Because I think making stupid mistakes five years ago is a lot different than, oh, I ran out and bought this $100,000 truck six months ago. Yes. Uh, That's much different. And what kind of debt is it? I feel more forgiving to student loans than credit card debt, depending on the circumstances. And I just really want to know their what they're doing to pay it off. If someone's really working hard and if they do think like this debt is a burden to me, it's weighing down on me. So I'm working really hard to pay it off. I would consider that a way better position than someone I I honest to god I one time went on a date with this guy that was from Britain that told me he just like ran away from his student loans. He's like, "Oh yeah, if you don't pay them, they just forgive them after like 10 years." And I'm like, "Is I don't know if that's huh? true." <laughs> yeah, but that was the strategy. He's like, "I'm going to hide out in Canada, ignore my student loans, and then they'll just go away." And <laughs> that was a very big turnoff for me. A red flag. <laughs> yeah. So, I think it's how they approach their debt. I, it would take like a significant amount of debt to really scare me out of dating someone at this point. Even if they came to me with like 60 or $80,000, I would be like, as long as you're tackling it, it's pretty mm-hmm. manageable. And I think I'm the kind of person I shouldn't, I'm going to get a lot of wild DMs from men after <laughs> we publish this podcast. But I think if I were to get serious with someone, I'm very much of like, the mindset that our finances are joint finances. And so if someone came into the relationship with more debt, I I don't think I would have a huge problem with helping them pay that 
down. I don't think it would bother me to just chuck a few hundred dollars or thousand dollars a month towards helping them relieve that debt if we were so you're in saying a love trumps money for you <laughs> yeah i'm the i'm single but a diehard romantic oh i love hearing that about you <laughs> i think that's so cute when you were dating nick what was your financial situation like and how did you did you disclose it or talk about it seriously before you got married so we were both students when we met so we had very little income. We both had debt from either student loans or consumer debt, just trying to survive while we were in school. Mm -hmm. And we never spoke about money. We consistently were like trying to split things as evenly as we could. Um, and at certain points in the relationship, I think both of us felt like we were pulling weight more than the other person. And that was actually our first fight. Our first fight about money was both of us felt like we were paying for more than the other person. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So that was when it was like, oh, obviously we both are thinking the same. Like we're both very concerned about money things, yet we don't know how to have these conversations. So ironically, the first fight we had is the reason we talk about money so openly and freely now, because oh, it was just weighing on us both so heavily. And ever since then, we've We've done like spreadsheets to be like, oh, we're actually splitting things. This is what an equitable split looks like in our relationship where we talked about our incomes. We And as our relationship progresses, which is what happens for most people, like as soon as you start to hit big milestones, like moving in together or getting engaged, mm -hmm. you start to be more open each time one of those happens. Were you already living together when you had this fight? No, we were just dating. We were on a vacation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you did have a like big joint expense that kind of yes, brought it up. That out. was the first like big thing we'd done together. That's the other thing I think about is like vacations. Like again, I don't I'm try I'm not trying to invite DMs from men <laughs> in my <laughs> comments, but like because I'm typically a higher earner, like I really think nothing about paying for like the plane ticket for someone to join me on a trip. Like if I want to have an experience with them and they can't afford it, I'm like, no worries. I'll just pick up the tab. And I'm see, maybe this is why I'm not in a relationship because I'm actually too generous. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. You're scaring people away by being too kind. I don't know. Does that happen? <laughs> No, I'm like, I've joked before that I'm certain, like when I watch the Tinder sw swindler, I'm like, I'm the next target. Like <laughs> I am the woman the Tinder swindler would have been able to get hundreds of thousands of dollars Absolutely out of. not. Yeah. I would have just wired money, like no big deal. If he's like, go look at this apartment for us and then send me 25 grand. I'd be like, okay. And I would just, I would, I know no, you I'm would not. <laughs> you would never do that. But yeah, I think once you have those big joint expenses and vacation is one, I, that's one I see too. And other dynamics I've hear, heard about in couples where one person wants to go on an expensive vacation and the other person in the couple, they either have to like not go at all or they really have to plan and save for months in order to go. And I, uh, 
relationships seem like so much work because I can't just imagine like the higher earning partner should just be like, you know what, let me help you out with this. Well, yeah. Horror story for me is my friend was dating someone and he was the higher income earner and he was like paying for most of the things in their relationship. Mm -hmm. But then he suddenly was like, we should go on a trip to Mexico. And he's like, but how about you book it? I'll pay you back as soon as you book it. And then we'll go on the trip. They went on the trip. She's texting me the whole time saying how awful it was. They weren't even hanging out together. <laughs> Why? Was their relationship just already headed south? Or she said he's he just was bad so boring. He just didn't <sighs> want to leave the room. Like she was like, I'm trying to enjoy Mexico. And he's I trying mean, to. You can have fun in the room. You can. <laughs> but maybe not for a full week. <laughs> Um, anyways, they finished the trip. She went home. They broke up immediately afterward and he never paid her back. Oh no. Yeah. That makes me upset. You definitely got to get payment before you go on the trip. Yeah. So I think when it comes to like talking about money with a partner or someone you're dating, I feel like there are a few categories that you really need to talk about, which is like your personal history with money super uncomfortable to talk about, but Mm -hmm. also drastically impacts how we view and use our money as adults. Mm -hmm. And then like, what stresses the other person out about money, I think is a good thing to know. Ooh, that's such a good point because people's stressors might be really weird. Exactly. And it makes you more aware when you're having conversations, like which ones will be difficult to have versus which ones will be easy to have. Yeah, because some people are really stressed by like spending. Other ones, dre- the debt stresses them out. Some other people are really worried about how much you have saved for retirement. And it's, yeah, yeah, basically just like, like a what button. is your partner's money trauma? <laughs> yes, for real, <laughs> truly. And then I feel like there's more simple questions that you can ask, which determines like what what your future might look together as a couple. Which is like, do you want to buy a house one day? Do you like living in the suburbs or inner city? Um, my personal favorite's like, how do you how do you dress yourself ten years from now? Like, what does your wardrobe look like? <laughs> that is very telling. How early do you have these conversations? I feel like you need to have them before you hit a big milestone, like going on a vacation or moving in with someone. Mm-hmm. Because if you wait until you do those things, it's too late. Do you think, though, that any kind of bad money behavior could be a deal breaker? And then sometimes it's harder when you're farther along in the relationship and you're more in love and you're more committed to this person. And then they bring up something that maybe would have been a deal breaker in the early days of dating. And now you're like, shoot, I'm really attached, but I'm very upset about this. Well, I think you already said that for you, that would love would trump the money. You'd probably figure it out. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a good example. I mean, as we're having this conversation, I was just thinking the last person that I did date a few years ago, that it lasted a few more dates. As the relationship was progressing, he disclosed that he had no retirement savings (gasps) at all. And he was like 40. No. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He had just like not not thought about it. it. Had not saved and invested anything. And that created like a big imbalance in the relationship in just terms of assets. Like his income was good. And, but then suddenly everything looked different to me. Like I was looking at his apartment and I knew what his rent was. And I'm Mm. like, Oh, is this really like how you should be spending your money? We were going out to dinner all the time. And I'm like, you can't really afford this. Like this needs to go into an RSP. And so it did create some 
anxiety. That wasn't what ended the relationship. But I wonder if as the relationship progressed, like it would have become a really big hurdle. Big I think, yeah, I think if we were entering, like if we were going to move in together or actually combine assets. And I think that's also one of the hazards, uh, me, because I'm dating in my late 30s. And the dynamics are totally different because you do get those big disparities, which you mm-hmm. don't necessarily have in your 20s. Where Very true. At the beginning, like no one has any assets. Everyone has student loan debt. Like the biggest difference is your incomes. I was going to say, isn't that typically what like ends up being the downfall in many relationships is you start advancing at different paces or you don't hit certain milestones at the same rate. So then it becomes, yeah, an uncomfortable dynamic. Yeah, I think it's something really hard to navigate. And I don't think money is the issue, but I do think it is like the emotional part of that money, like progressing further in your career, succeeding, the sense of falling behind or resentment for supporting your partner's career, because that also happens in long-term relationships. Maybe you end up in a scenario where your partner gets a really good high-paying job in another city, which requires maybe you have to quit a job that you love and follow them so they can pursue their career. And I think there's a lot of give and take in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're younger, we're more willing to do that. And now as we age, it's like, I'm not going to compromise my finances for you. That's so true. I, on that note, then I think like, if you see any sort of future with a partner, it's never too early to, to lightly touch on the subject, even just getting to know if you have common goals, because that does say a lot about someone's financial plans. That yeah, that's true. That's a really good good point to make and asking about their career goals or even their retirement. Like I went on a date with someone recently and they were telling me how they wanted to retire in BC and they were already working towards that. They're like, I want to retire early in BC. And so from those two things I already know like they're clearly saving up a, a lot because they want to exit the workforce early. <laughs> they're gonna use it to buy a property in BC. So they're like very serious about this. Yes. But then I'm also like I don't want to move to BC. So that's that. <laughs> right? You just got three really important answers that you needed to determine if this is a serious partner option. Yeah. And that's the other thing, which, and this is advice that I've gotten from Matthew Hussey and why I think I'm also so good at dating now is you can have those serious conversations very early in a relationship about, uh, lifestyle that you want and finances and whether or not you want kids. And you don't have to be afraid of scaring them away or interrogating them. I think if it comes up naturally in conversation, like you can really have these in the first few dates. I feel like it's easier then because it is less pressure. Yeah. Like, I don't think you should ask your date to bring their net worth statement to <laughs> like your next I need a pay stub. <laughs> yeah. Your like, show insurance. me your T4. But you can ask about it casually. But I don't know. I'm also still of the mindset it's maybe like rude to ask about incomes or account balances until you're pretty far in. I don't know. Like, they've already, men always seem to volunteer the information. I don't think you need to know someone's specific income to have a good idea of whether they're financially savvy. That's true. How much detail do you think? Because you and Nick have your spreadsheets. And so I'm assuming you know everyone's entire financial picture. And when do you think that is necessary? Do you think that's necessary in a relationship? I think that becomes necessary when you move in together and when you actually start to share expenses. 
Mm-hmm. I'm rattled because I just said shart. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to re record it? No, you know what? I think it's <laughs> 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 it breaks up a serious moment. <laughs> Anyways, I think when you move in with someone, you have to share your expenses. Once you start to split big things like rent, groceries, your essentials, It's hard Mm -hmm. to ignore if there's an income disparity, if there are certain lifestyle differences. So the more you know and the more open you are, the easier it is to address those things. And in terms of splitting, because I often get asked, like, what is the most fair way to split expenses? And my opinion is to split it proportionally to income. But I'm curious what you think. Oh, uh, the exact same. You know, a lot of men out there are making women do 50-50. Oh, I know. I get 100 messages anytime I say, you need to equitably split your income. And they're like, well, we just do 50-50. And I have to explain to them why that's damaging their potential to grow their financial future. It enrages me. And I've seen so many freaking TikToks about this. And the men are all like, well, she's living in the same apartment as me. So obviously, she should pay 50% of it. And I'm like, you make three times what she does. It makes no sense. Like, if you, if your partner earns 60000 and you earn $40,000, they should take 60% of the expenses and you should take 40 Because otherwise, it inhibits your ability to save for retirement or other expenses you want. It's removing your ability to have any sense of freedom with your money. Mm-hmm. It's unfair, simply put. <laughs> I agree com- completely. And that's the other thing that I think is important. I think a uh, toxic dynamic can sometimes emerge in relationships where the higher earner thinks because they earn more money or they have more money in assets that they can exert more control over how the lower earner spends their money and they'll criticize them like for their spending or that they're not saving enough. And I really think like you're still entitled to some guilt-free spending, even Mm -hmm. if your income is really low. Like just because you're the lower earner doesn't mean you have to be exceptionally frugal and save a ton just to catch up to your higher earning partner. Like you still deserve lattes. I know. I say that all the time. Like just because you contribute more financially to the relationship does not mean you get to contribute less overall. It's the same as Mm -hmm. who decides what decisions are made. It doesn't matter how much money you bring into the household. You still have to make decisions as a team. Yeah, I agree completely. That just gets me fired up. I'm all red in the face because I just cannot believe that people- I can tell this is a passion topic for you. (laughs) It is. This is like the income classes for me. (laughs) Well, it is. It's really micro income classes within a relationship. Right. But I do think it's becoming really hard for people to navigate. And I especially think for women, first, they're often the lower earner. I know now they're kind of more the breadwinner in relationships, but they often go into these relationships. The men are making them pay 50-50. And then the woman is the one that has to take time away from her career for child rearing in most relationships. And then she loses that whole year or sometimes 18 months, sometimes longer if you have multiple kids where she's missing out on that career progression and that's reflected in your income for the rest of your life. And we're not saying this to be discouraging. Uh, having a baby impacted my career and it it was still worth it. But I think men don't always acknowledge the cost of that. Yes, they never do. <laughs> 
Are you, are you just holding it all in now because we've like enraged you with the <laughs> gender no. dynamics in a relationship? No, I think like I completely agree with what you're saying. I feel like it also goes for we've talked about many, many times on this podcast, which is just the domestic labor that also comes to play in, in these types of relationships. And just being able to acknowledge that you don't have to just have a paycheck to be an equal part of your relationship. A hundred percent. I think more women need to hear that. I think that so many of them feel guilt for not bringing in an income. And then those that do bring in an income feel like they still need to emotionally support their partner for this weird, I guess, just the way we were brought up, thinking that men have to be the ones that provide. Yeah. And I know we're talking a lot about heterosexual relationships, but I think what's interesting is a lot of these problems and these dynamics that we're discussing, they do still exist in um, some gay couples, but their their relationships statistically are more egalitarian and way more fair. So if you like to date the same sex, that is a good way to circumvent a lot of the toxic gender dynamics. Absolutely. And you still... And no matter who you're dating, who your partner is, still need to split things equitably. A hundred percent. I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this. I'm kind of jumping a little bit, but there was a study that came out by the American Psychology Association that found that couples who pool their money together are more likely to stay together. And it found that whether or not couples combine their money, it may make or break a relationship. And they said that we saw that couples who pool their finances are less likely to break up than couples who keep their finances separate. Oh, interesting. What are your thoughts on that? In a way, it doesn't surprise me because I wonder if the willingness to combine your finances is kind of going all in to a relationship. So you're very like, I'm going to prioritize this relationship above all else. I'm fully invested. And the it's not that you're going to stay together because you pooled your finances. It's like you pooled your finances because that was your attitude. So I wonder if it's that. My other question, though, before we like, if we don't know the accuracy of this data, I'm like, what age group of are they referring to? And what is this data from? Because if this is the data from like 1850 to 1970, I'm like, well, yeah, it's recent. It came out in 2022. Mm hmm. And it was all generations. So this is just across all age groups. They do have some breakouts. I will link this survey data in the show notes. But when I first read it, my immediate reaction was, well, of course they're less likely to break up because it's harder to break up when your finances are completely combined. Because they're trapped. Almost. (laughs) Not necessarily trapped, but it's like it's a way more work to exit a relationship whether you're happy or not, if you are completely combined. It is really hard. And I think that's where some financial abuse comes in. And I don't know if that's reflected in those statistics because there are situations where men will prevent their partner from having a debit card or credit card. She can't have anything in her own name and he gives her an allowance for spending. I do think it's reflected because they explicitly say that it's more likely that low-income households are the ones who are combining their finances. There it is. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
Yeah, that now that doesn't surprise me at all, because that is where that dynamic would come from. And this is something that we didn't mention earlier, but I know we've said, I think we talked about it in our misogyny and money episode in season one, where I said we've constructed this system where it is economically beneficial for women to be in a relationship because women's incomes are depressed and it's really like it's really hard to afford a comfortable lifestyle as a single woman. So there's lots of financial incentive to get into a romantic relationship. So it doesn't surprise me that preferentially lower income earners are entering into romantic relationships and that their finances get combined because to be honest, like lower income women are probably seeing a significant gain in quality of life by entering into a partnership with a man, even if that relationship isn't excellent, like emotionally, it can still give them secure housing, secure food, things like that. Yeah, I I agree. And I think another interesting part of that result from the study was like 47% of couples admit finances are one of the biggest stressors in their relationships. And so to me, and this is totally just my opinion, but people combine their money because they think that omits having these deeper conversations and regular check-ins. Because if your money is separate, you're almost forced to talk about it on a more regular basis. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have it, combined, they feel like they don't have to have an open dialogue to make it work. They can just go into their checking accounts or go into their online banking and see what's happening. I think that opens more criticism though. Like just after listening to Ramit's podcast, the way people nitpick at each other for the extra $10 they spent at Target is just crazy to me. And I think it's because they can see everything because it's all combined And I think this is something that Canada does well and is interesting. We tend to not think of policy uh, through a gender lens, but remember, it's always through a gender lens. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, every individual files their taxes individually. You don't file as a household or a couple. Even if you check the box, you still are filing as an individual. And things like TFSA and RRSP can only be under one name. They're not joint assets. You can, of course, like share them with your spouse in retirement, or you can leave them to them if you pass away, but they still can only be under your name. And I think when it comes to building assets in a partnership, this degree of separation is good. I think it's really positive. And I think it's really important that you do have your own financial assets, your own long-term investments, and your own spending money that your partner either can't see how you're spending it, if they're going to be a jerk about your $10 purchases, or yeah, just so you can enjoy it without feeling like someone's looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you said the $10 purchase people are bickering about. That's one of the main reasons Nick and I separated our finances. (laughs) Really? (laughs) We partially combine, but initially when I could see him spending money on like lunches or coffees with his coworkers every day, Mm -hmm. I was getting frustrated, even though that's something I do. I was like, I don't like seeing this every day. It just gives me like this pit in my stomach for absolutely no reason. It's not impacting our bottom line. We're still hitting all of our savings goals, yet it's bothering me. So why are we even putting ourselves through this? Like, why am I putting myself through this when I could just remove it? We each have our own spending money. Like you said, we each get to enjoy our money in our own way. 
Yeah. And I think that's best. I think like, again, I'm not in a relationship, so I can't say, but I think it makes sense to have a joint account for joint expenses. And maybe mm-hmm. that's your rent, your mortgage, your uh, utilities, your groceries, and you each contribute to that account proportionally to your income. And then I think you should have some money that just stays in your own checking account for your own guilt-free spending that your partner is not allowed to criticize, that you can save and spend however you want. And also that your retirement assets and long-term investments, like you need to have some of those under your name. Not everything can or should be joint. Mm -hmm. I think it's wild to me sometimes that people don't have their own credit cards. Yeah. I think even just having that, because there's only one primary on a credit card. So you lose the ability to make a lot of financial decisions or do a lot of things with that card with your financial institution if you are not the primary on that account. Or build credit, really simple things like that. Yeah. So for us, like we we have two separate accounts. We have one household savings account. We have many, many like sinking funds that I manage and we just have one joint credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, but we our household account is for shared financial goals and shared expenses. And we both contribute, yeah, exactly what you said, an equitable split based on our income to that account. And then we generally like transfer money to each other through that one savings account mm-hmm. and we share an emergency fund. And that's been working for you for many, many years now? Yeah, it's been working. We obviously um, have changed a lot since we had kids. I think that adds like another level and another dynamic to your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice that we have our own individual a personality for our money. Like I'm allowed to just do what I enjoy without having to discuss those things. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really good. And I don't want to take our love and money episode into relationship breakdowns, but I do think that that's an important aspect of this to discuss because I think once you've been in a relationship with someone for a long time and then you split up, there's a lot of financial mayhem that can ensue in, especially if it's a marriage and you divorce. So I was married not very long, so we didn't have a lot of joint assets. So it was pretty easy, but having some of those accounts already split before you, before you divorce or before you end the relationship, again, like you said, and how I said, it's so important to have your own checking account, your own credit card, your own retirement assets. It will protect those assets in the event of a relationship breakdown. And it also makes like splitting them up easier because if you've been together for a long time, the general rule in Canada is all assets accumulated within the marriage are going to be split 50-50. And I'm using marriage to also cover common law relationships because Mm -hmm. in most places, a common law relationship of one year or longer, I think in some provinces, even less than that, I think as soon as you start living together in some places, they treat it like a legal marriage. So there you can save some money. You don't have a wedding. You're just, you're just married (laughs) if you live together. And so in the event of a relationship breakdown, all the assets accumulated in the relationship for the most part will be split 50, 50. And so this means that even if your partner only contributed to their RSP and no one ever put any money in your TFSA or RSP, you're still technically entitled to half of that money. But Mm -hmm. then we create this, uh, burden of having to do the paperwork and the legal fight in order to get it, which sometimes 
is not necessarily worth it as someone that costs more than the money. Yeah. As someone that had the joy of getting to spend some time in the court system for family courts, um, it might not be worth it. And again, this is just another reason why it's important to keep those accounts separate. And sorry, I'm going on a bit of a monologue, but these are just questions I get so often (laughs) that I feel I appreciate it. I think people need to know the answers to these questions. Yeah. And there's there's lots of questions about it. So definitely keep your accounts separate from the get-go. Know what you're entitled to. And there is the option to get prenuptial agreements. And I think those are important. Even if you're not marrying someone, get a cohabitation agreement if you're going to Mm -hmm. live together. Because again, like I said, in some provinces, they're going to consider you married right from the get-go. And Canada's not quite the same as the United States. In the United States, you can make a prenup say anything for the most part. Canada, again, is a little bit um, more on the fair side. So even if you don't have a prenup, you will still be entitled to things. But if you're going into a relationship, especially especially with a big difference in assets or incomes or debts, if someone's coming in with a large financial gift from family, you you do want to get a document with a lawyer to outline how you would want these assets. Or first, just to outline what all these financial assets are what the terms are that you're engaging with them in the relationship and how you would split them in the event of a relationship breakdown. And it really is worthwhile to pay a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars to sit down with a lawyer if you're protecting multi five, six, seven figures of money. Because obviously no one enters into a relationship expecting it to fall to pieces. But the reality is that most relationships don't make it to marriage. And like one in two marriages almost tends to fail. And so you you always want to protect your downside financially. And those are the ways that you do it. I just love that you shared all of that because I catch a lot of flack when I tell people that, you know, Nick and I even have separate emergency funds. What? Or that we keep all of our finances separate because so many people think very traditionally. And a lot of people even go as far as saying like, you're not even married if you don't combine your account. Oh my God. Like I've seen those comments before too, but I think we have to acknowledge like it's the same like buying life insurance. I'm not buying life insurance because I think it's likely that I'm going to pass away (laughs) (laughs) anytime from like cardiac arrest in the next 10 years. But you always want to protect wherever you're financially vulnerable. And it is really financially vulnerable in a relationship. And I know everyone thinks their partner is the greatest and nothing bad will ever happen to them. But like some men have whole other families that they don't tell you about. And also circumstances can change so quickly. Like sometimes I see these stories of women who are married 25, 35, 40 years, and then their husband just up and leaves them for someone else. And Sometimes it doesn't have to be that dark. Like it doesn't have to be a betrayal or a relationship breakdown. Even if you're unexpectedly widowed and you don't have access to finances, like it takes a while for life insurance payments to come in. And it takes a while to get the death certificate and give it to the bank so you can get access to the accounts. It's way easier to just have a little bit of money of your own to tide you over while you're sorting out the paperwork for an unexpected event like that. Like, 
you really have to be defensive with your finances to protect against catastrophe because really the things that are going to change your financial life are those big unexpected events. You're being left for a younger woman, your husband passes away unexpectedly in your 40s, and you want to have that taken care of so that finances aren't an additional stressor under what is going to be a very traumatic time in your life. Exactly. And on that note too, both partners need to be involved in their finances enough to know what accounts you have, where the accounts are held, how much is in those accounts, and what would you do in a situation like one of the ones that Bridget just listed. You kind of need to be aware. You need to avoid stepping back and thinking, my partner has a handle on things. I'm going to let them manage the money. It should never be one person's job to manage the money in a relationship. It needs to be a team effort. Yeah, because there is like a lot of financial infidelity sometimes where someone is pretending their investments are doing really well and they're actually broke. There are loans that people don't tell their partners about. And usually it's because of shame or it's a business dealing or an investment that went poorly and they don't want to stress out their spouse, but then they're carrying around like a secret debt. (laughs) Exactly. And that's really common, which is horrible to say, but there are so many statistics that point out how often financial infidelity happens. And this is why I don't go on more than like four dates. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're sniffing out all of these goals and you're like, hmm, I smell a red flag in my future. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also down to financial literacy. Like I think everyone should know how to manage investments. They should understand how interest is calculated on loans. Like it is really nice to be taken care of and just be like, everything is taken care of. I don't have to worry about money. But if there comes a day where you suddenly have to worry about it and you have missed out on a lifetime of accumulating financial literacy, you're not going to learn it all in like four days. You're starting from zero and that's not a position that you want to be in. Yes. And if your partner does, if you do become a widow or your partner passes away, that's when you do not have the capacity to learn. Yeah. You don't want to be in a situation where grief or anger or stress is putting you in a headspace that is just not conducive to learning something as complex as money. Exactly. So my question there, I guess, before we're nearing the end of the episode, but how do you have a conversation with your partner? How would you approach a conversation with your partner asking to have more insight into what's happening with the money or just saying like, hey, I think we need to split things more equitably Or we need to just talk about money more? I think you should bring it up in whatever way. Like every relationship dynamic is different and every person is different. I'm a very outspoken person. So I'd just be like, we need to talk about this. Let's schedule time to sit down. Because I also think like you want to give them time to emotionally and mentally prepare for the conversation. So sometimes actually scheduling like a quiet time to spend an hour or two hours to do it. And I also think framing it in a positive way, like don't tell your long-term boyfriend that you want to understand how his investments work in case he ever like leaves you for another woman in your fifties that like might not land well, (laughs) (laughs) but I think you should be, should be more positive and maybe say like, 
I don't know, I'm interested in retiring early, or I want to eventually purchase a vacation home. When do you think we could do that? And maybe you can sit down and look at your budget, look at your investments, look at your debts, and you can use it as a stepping stone to accomplishing a financial goal together. And I think that's a lot happier than being like, I'm just making sure I'm okay in case you kick the bucket early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. A little date night out of it so it's not completely awkward or uncomfortable. Maybe you crack a bottle of wine open before you jump in. I think like it's also really important to acknowledge any language that you use and that you agree to make the discussion a safe space for both people in the relationship. I think there's always a lot of judgment in money, even if we, even if it's unintentional. Mm-hmm. So I think just like setting some ground rules, like be honest, uh, don't make assumptions, don't play the blame game. Yeah. Like I think those are all really important things to kind of put at the forefront before you jump into a money conversation too. Because you want it to be a comfortable conversation. Like the sign of a healthy relationship with finance is it should be as mundane as putting together your grocery list, right? Like it should just be like, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do to do it and put it together. And when it's so emotionally fraught, you're not going to have a good time. Yeah, I like that. I think think that's exactly how you should jump in. Two feet. In love. Not not head first. (laughs) Two feet in love. Heart first. (laughs) Uh, Okay, do we need to go over anything else about mixing love and money? I think we mixed it all. We even went to divorce and death and came back. We did the full circle. (laughs) The circle of love. (laughs) Circle of love. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen and be on the lookout for another episode next week. If you like the show, please leave us a review telling us what joke made you laugh in today's episode. (laughs) Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes and come back each week to continue to unpack your money trauma. Can I interject here with another comment? Yeah. I just want to say that I'm loving our Patreon so much. And I just want to thank all the people that have signed up already because, I mean, maybe you think that it's trivial and small, but the support actually means a lot to me and Alyssa. And it helps us produce the podcast with our editor, Drew, who we also adore. And I just wanted to give a shout out to say thanks everyone that has subscribed. And we're really excited. And we just feel really blessed for everyone that has. So beyond blessed. I can't believe there's over 80 people already. We both have had a lot of aha moments this week on what cool community we've built. I know. I was talking about it on my ETF Tuesday and I almost like started crying because I'm like, I'm so grateful that I'm like, I got to seriously get off my live because I'm crying <laughs> on Instagram again. <laughs> but we are really grateful. It means a lot to us. And yeah, we, we just love you guys so much. Just thank you. Thanks for listening to us. So follow us on Instagram at Mixed Up Money for Alyssa at Bridgie Casey for me and the at Money Feels podcast for the podcast. And we will see you next time. Oh, 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 o